You're listening to And welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 43. My name is Marvin Yu, and joining me once again to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian American just you. Your girl is still tired. (laughs) Why are you tired? What's I'm always on? tired, Marvin. It's a lot of dumb things and like kind of cool things, but mostly dumb things. And I don't want to talk about it right now. I'm going to have fun. <laughs> also joining us, professional culture editor Han Nguyen. Hello. You're She's also, also busy tired. with your e- eternal <laughs> television critics awards. Is it awards or? A- 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 association um, <laughs> uh, press conference. Uh, we are in week four. Two more weeks to go. <laughs> And yeah, anything on top of my regular job is something. And so this on top of that. And then I'm also worried about my family in Texas. None of them have power. Yeah. That is. So yeah, my brain is everywhere right now. I'm sorry. I hope your family's okay. I, I, you know, the family members who actually have other family members in the house, I'm not terribly like worried about because I assume if you have other people, then you have way too much food and then you also have someone to snuggle with but my mom who is alone um and you know just she's she's an older lady so she doesn't have like all the conveniences that like i have so yeah i worry about her staying warm for several days in a row since they have no power is she also being extremely stubborn like most asian moms are well i mean stubborn in what way though that's the thing um <laughs> she she can't do anything like she literally can't go anywhere she can't get groceries because all the stores are closed because the water situation is there is not good either um they're on a boil warning which means like if you get water from your tap if you get you are able to get water from your tap you need to boil it at least two minutes um before it's potable oh, um fortunately i think she does have some water but i don't know if she has enough for let's say four to five days because I don't think anyone foresaw that this, you know, the power grid would be down so extremely, like, across the board. Um, I have friends in Dallas who, one of their pipes burst. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it's crazy all over Texas. And again, drives home, like, any sort of thoughts about my uh, eventually moving to Texas <laughs> for affordable housing. <laughs> so That's the thing, right? Like, I think we're in an age right now where... Natural disasters are more and more common, but I'm thinking now I don't have a bug out bag in case the big one happens, and I really should because like those are things you don't think about, right? Like what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? I have a few bags because of I think it was two years ago the fires were really bad, and now it's just like every year there's going to be fires um, and earthquakes. So I have a few bags everywhere, and the thing is though I have to have an extra bag for my cats, right? Yes, and then um. And like t- contingency plans and people who they can, who I can call in case, you know, and all that type of stuff. So like I thought previously about getting rid of my car and then now, like especially during pandemic, you you know, you're not driving anywhere. But like because of fires, I can't ever get rid of my car because I need that as an escape plan. So yeah. make sure they're gassed up and make sure you start them every couple of weeks because I have friends mm-hmm. who literally both their cars died because they didn't drive them for like a month. Oh, yeah. I've been... This is shit they do not teach you in school. <laughs> well, oh, we yeah. were learning like fucking algebra. They should have been like, this is what happens when the world's ending. I didn't know how to restart your, get, like, turn up your car every once in a while. What happens if you don't? You, then your your battery dies. 
Why did your battery die? I'm not using it. <laughs> okay, so I'm not a mechanic, but I'm pretty sure one of the functions of the motor is to actually charge your battery as you run. Or else, if you leave your phone on the table for like a week, it dies by itself. Yes. Yeah, that's why. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's why I kind of make myself drive just a little bit, like at least once a month. Because I'm like, I don't want to go to grocery shopping, but I'm like, okay, I'll go to Trader Joe's. Get the thing I can't get from like delivered anywhere else um, or I'll just head to, I don't know, the post office or something for like a minor errand. But yeah, there's so many things where I'm just like, I can't escape to Texas. California is no good. Like, as, <laughs> so I'm like, where can I go? Because it's like, I do want a home. And uh, <laughs> it's but yeah, I, I don't know exactly now what. But yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm not even vaccinated yet. So whatever. <laughs> one step at a time. One disaster <laughs> at a time. Guys, remember when we said 2021 is going to be better? Is it though? Mm. <laughs> I mean, even... We keep lying to ourselves. Even the year of the ox, like immediately, as soon as that page turned, it was like, oh, I know. Texas, so. And you can't blame me anymore because you know how... Um, so I don't know if you guys know this, but the year of your year on the Chinese Zodiac is supposed to be bad luck for you. Yeah, right. I know. It was bad. My last year was 2016. It was not good. Yeah. It was not good at all. <laughs> it's because I didn't wear, wear underwear. That's why. I, I, yeah, and I was born in the year of the rats. So 2020 oh. is apparently my fault. But oh. 2021, not my fault anymore. Uh, I will take the blame for next year. <laughs> Tiger. Uh, in advance, I already feel like it's going to be a doozy. So, yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, on this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club, we're talking all about To All the Boys I Loved Before, Always and Forever, the latest original rom com on Netflix, wrapping up the love story of Laura Jean Covey and Peter Kavinsky. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through the week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? All right. So on Valentine's Day, I started watching this very short docuseries. It's called Big Day. It's about South Asian, specifically Indian weddings that are happening. I think they all happen in India. It's great. It's so wholesome. It's like the anti-Indian matchmaker. All the couples are like genuinely in love and seem very healthy for each other. They found like the chillest six like parents in India because they're all like very sure. My kid's happy. Like, which is not a narrative we usually see around these stories. Um, but it's really, it's really interesting. I mean, I burned through three episodes, only three episodes. It's uh, quite stress relieving. It makes you believe in love. Um, I still love a wedding, but this is a little less gross than some of the other wedding shows. That sounds great. I feel like, like the best weddings I've been to have been weddings planned by and for the people actually getting married. Like the worst ones I've been to are, have always been the ones that are obviously planned by the parents for the parents' friends. Yeah, and this show obviously has an agenda because the first one is like pretty standard. The, the couples are lovely. There's only one couple featured that's actually like American. They go mm -hmm. back to India to get married and they are the tackiest couple. We love it. <laughs> it's very entertaining, but like not really that problematic. They're just, if the worst thing I can say is that your sangi is tacky, like we're fine here. <laughs> but the, the second episode, which was my favorite, is about brides who break tradition. So it's these two Indian women 
who are very, very feminist, like explicitly feminist oh. and are just like, not going to do this. No, that's dumb. We're not having this ceremony. And like they are painted as the hero as opposed to like a nuisance. There's some people who like don't necessarily agree, but you know, all the in-laws kind of get in line. And she's great. I, I see myself a lot of her in this character. She's like, I'm not, we're not going to do that. Like the, the history of that is like property transfer of the woman. Like, no, we're not going to do that. And like, like, and like all the husbands are very supportive. Like the two B husbands are very supportive. I was like, this is very wholesome. I like this. That's sweet. Yeah. Awesome. So would recommend uh it's it, yes just have it on in the background it gave me some wedding ideas this one couple <laughs> was really i thought what they did was pretty brilliant and they're aesthetically they were very chic um but they basically decided to employ an entire small town for their wedding because they were going to spend a shit ton of money and resources on their wedding anyways so they're like why don't we use this to like help this specific town where our wedding is going to take place like they it's taking place in this like fortress like okay let's employ all these people let's employ the craftsmen like let's employ let's use the you know the local flowers and like the local block printing and i was like that's awesome <laughs> i love it <laughs> i'm so oh. glad you mentioned this this is exactly what i need right now is something backgroundy and fun so mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's balanced with like that one Fremont couple. Of course, they're from Fremont is like, ooh, you tacky, Nikki, but we love it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So would recommend Big Day on Netflix, three episodes. I hope we get a season two. Yeah. On what's popping with you? Okay. So I have a Netflix series also, but it won't be out until probably a few days oh, after. Oh, this you- is your like critic flex insider oh, you're, yeah, you're industry. Yeah, TCA credentials right yes. now, aren't you? <laughs> I keep waiting and I was just like, oh, I'll mention it next week once it's out so people can watch it. I'm like, fuck that, whatever. Um, (laughs) I am going to preview it so that way you guys can like when you see it on your feed or on the top 10, you're like, oh, that's the thing that Han talked about. So Ginny and Georgia is a uh, young adult series where uh, Georgia is this blonde southern white woman who was born in Georgia um, who had an abusive past and... um, and at age 15, got pregnant um, with her daughter, George, uh, Ginny, um, named for Virginia. So basically, they're named for wherever they're born. And um, But the thing is, they end up in this new sort of New England town where uh, there's a lot of wealthy people. And at first, you're like, oh, this is going to be Gilmore Girls. But I'm like, it's so much better than that because it's not <laughs> whitewashed. It's not this like you know, like happy-go-lucky place that ignores that you're treating your one Korean person horribly. Um, so um, despite the whole like blonde hair, blue-eyed, like Southern Belle sort of like thing, um, she's also sort of a grifter, which makes it interesting. Um, and it's kind of like a sort of like that question about survival and what you have to do to help your kids. And especially when you've had an abusive past and you don't have the benefit of all the privilege, like education, everything else that people have had. Um, and now that her daughter Ginny is 15 um, and in this new school, she's kind of dealing with the fact that everyone loves her mom because she's like hot and whatever. And so and she's also half black. Um, Ginny is. So she's kind of like 
doesn't have the same sort of like experiences that her mom has. Um, but something that's kind of cool is the actress who plays Ginny. Um, she's super cute. Um, her name is Antonia Gentry. And at one point, because she's dating a guy who's like Asian. And so for some reason, it comes up like, what languages do you speak? And apparently she speaks Korean. And she rattles off some like pretty decent Korean to my ears, which I'm not Korean. Um, and. <laughs> uh, on the show, which I'm like, okay, that's totally random. So they couldn't have brought that up like for no reason. So I Googled her and I found a really old video of her on YouTube practicing her Korean. And, um, and it's so very interesting. So I'm just like, I don't know how fluent she is, but it's definitely been a few years since that video. So she does have some training. Um, but what I also like is that there's so many good Asians on the show. <laughs> Um, very clearly, uh, there, like, there's sort of a love triangle, first of all, with Ginny, the, the 15 year old daughter, she ends up having a boyfriend who is half Chinese. Um, I believe, uh, his name is Mason Temple, uh, the actor, and he plays Hunter. He's super cute. He's also very smart. He's the good safe choice. Um, but he's also not boring. So that's what I thought was interesting because, uh, you know how people are doing all those promposals and stupid things in school now that's just like <laughs> way too over the top. So for her birthday, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil this. He does a tap dance routine and gets everyone in, in, in it in the hallway. And I'm just like, I hate that over the top sort of like shit that kids are doing these days. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, my God, just seeing him like dance. And later on, he's in a band. And he sort of sings a song to her. I'm just like, he's smart. He's talented. He's very forthcoming with his feelings. It's, he's such a good boyfriend, which, of course, means that she doesn't value him because um, there's another love interest. But anyway. there's a theme. There's a theme very appropriate for this week of like, oh, dumb choices you make as a high school child. Yeah. Now, her mom, you know, is very into the very boring white mayor of this town. But the other love interest who is unrequited is a super hot South Asian dude. Oh, 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 you said who, the magic word. Who, who, his Netflix name is, is Joe. going hard on the hot South Asian dudes yeah. this oh, year. Oh, he has an amazing beard. And, I'm like um, literally Googling him. He's very attractive. Oh, he's even more attractive on the show because not only does he just look better, like, you know, acting and speaking, but he runs a cafe that like serves stuff from his organic farm. <laughs> And um, let's see. Uh, and he owns horses. So, oh, oh, Han! You just said like three magic words, phrases. It's like, it's like I just want him to get a love interest worthy of him. That's what I'm just like. This is ridiculous. So anyway, um, and then what's also kind of nice is they there was a bonus Asian like um there <laughs> where basically there's like a battle of the bands and then. But before there's a warm up guy who's like, you know, acoustic with his guitar and everyone's like, who's this dude? And then all of a sudden he sings and people are, and the girls are like, oh, my God, my ovaries. So um, it's an actual singer, um, Canadian singer named uh, known by the name Monsoon, I believe. But uh, when I looked him up on the credits, it's his name is actually Scott Zhang, I think. Um, so I thought that was a really nice spotlight of an actual singer who people will definitely be interested in because of the way they like presented him as this like amazing guy um 
So yeah, I'm just very satisfied. Like the show is kind of over the top. It's very dramatic. There's soapy and there's like people are fighting and there's crime and there's things I don't want to spoil. And so that's why I mentioned all these other like light and fluffy things. But yeah, I definitely think you should check it out because there's, you know, there's also conversation about being multiracial, both for Ginny's sake, but also because of Hunter, you know. Um, and and there's that sort of comparison of like their experiences against each other's, which is totally different. So, yeah, I think it's worth it's it's worth watching just for the conversations. How starved are we for representation that when, when we see an extra like side character, we call it a bonus Asian? Oh, my God. But it's so good because it's because there's like if he was just like, I don't know, like in the background, I wouldn't have cared. But like it's like they made sure to be like, hey, we're going to call attention to this guy. So. Yes, but anyway, so that's mine. Marvin, what's popping with you? All right, so people who know me know that I'm not exactly on top of popular music, um, especially, uh, you know, what the kids are listening to these days. I listen to a lot of podcasts, which means I don't listen to terrestrial radio, so I have no idea what's on, you know, top 40 these days. Um, but but sometimes I just find some new music that I vibe with. And so um, what's popping for me is the latest album from Run River North, um, that just dropped last week called Creatures in My Head. Uh, Run River North is notable because they're one of the only all Asian American bands that has gotten um, somewhat mainstream traction. They've played on Jimmy Kimmel, um, South by Southwest, and for a while was also in heavy rotation at K-Rock, which is pretty outstanding for a band made up of all Asian Americans. So Creatures in My Head is their first full-length album since um, leaving their label and returning to their independent roots. Um, the band has also gone through over the last few years, going from a six-piece band now to a trio, uh, but their sound is still as great as always. Uh, Run River North has been one of my favorite bands for a long time, and what's great is they're the type of band whose sounds just keeps evolving. When they first started, they had more of a folk rock sound, similar to Mumford & Sons, with a lot of use of gang vocals, um, but with way better drums. And this latest album has kind of a more indie feel to it. It reminds me of bands like The Eels or The Shins. And I just I just love this album so much. It's been on heavy rotation and the background while I work. And it's been a while since I've added new music to my playlist. Um, some notable songs in the album, um, there's a song called Lonely Weather, um, which is basically their anthem to wintertime ennui. Their whole vibe is kind of ennui, though, but like sometimes happy ennui. But it's great. It's all great. And another song that I'm super excited about is called um, Goodnight Moon, which interestingly is a song that predates the band, actually, by a couple years. It's one of the earliest songs that Alex Huang wrote, and there's actually been a music video of this song on YouTube for the last decade, um, where Alex and a bunch of his friends made a puppet show music video. Fun fact is Alex Huang and some of the people that made that music video have roots in collaboration. Many of them are OG volunteers um, from when the organization first started. And I guess that's why I'm a fan of the band as well, because of those shared roots in collaboration. Um, fun fact is um, I was actually on staff when they did their first ever audition as a band for collaboration back when they were called Monsters Calling Home. I ran the um, AV for their audition. So I still have tape of their like first ever semi-public performance. Damn, don't you feel old? <laughs> <laughs> I remember their like Honda, was it the Honda commercial? Yeah, that was how they, that was really they fun. had a viral video that they recorded of one of the earliest songs in a in their honda i think it was their element 
And that got picked up by Jimmy Kimmel, who brought them on to play live. And that actually is kind of how they got signed in the beginning to um as a band. So yeah, they've been around for a long time. They're I produce a lot of uh, I produce a couple of their live shows, not only collaboration, but a, a South by Southwest as well. And I'm just glad to see they're them having new um new music. So yeah, if you're a fan of Run River North, um check it out. Um if you don't know who they are, check the check it out because you know they're it's good. They're it's good awesome. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's what's popping for this week. When we come back, we're talking about Always and Forever, the third movie of the To All the Boys I Love Before series. Um, stick around. Hey, I'm Bill Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club, continuing our series of watching films about high school seniors who really want to go to Stanford. This week, we're talking all about To All the Boys I Loved Before, Always and Forever, the third and final, final question mark movie of the To All the Boys I Loved Before series. Based on the books by Jenny Han, this third film follows Laura Jean Covey and her beau Peter Kavinsky as they navigate senior year of high school, which includes figuring out what happens after they graduate. Really quick before we get started on our discussion, uh, we're going to be talking in depth about plot points of To All the Boys I Loved Before, Always and Forever. So if you haven't watched the film yet and care about spoilers, um, hit pause and go watch the film. It's available on Netflix right now. And after you finish watching it, come back and listen to our discussion. <laughs> and yeah, if you're still listening right now, we're going to assume that you've either already seen the film or don't care about getting spoiled on plot points. So you've been warned. But yeah, let's start off with some general impressions. Um, what did you guys think of Always and Forever? I thought it was really cute. It feels like a very, you know, nice, familiar, warm, comforting hug. I don't think it was, I liked it better than the second one, but not as much as the first one <laughs> is my ranking. One, three, two. Um, and I have, I have thoughts about Laura Jean being dumb, but <laughs> I can't say that's not an accurate reflection of being dumb at that age. <laughs> I was yeah. never that dumb, but I knew people who were that dumb. So, yeah, I, I mean, I have to agree. And I think, most people would agree with that ranking. It's number one, three, and then two. Um, this also kind of follows the same pattern as the books. Like, I definitely felt like book two wasn't quite as good. But also, I do have to say, film-wise, there's probably many reasons for that. Um, one is, I definitely think that, like, the first film was almost like an instant classic for the teen rom-com genre. Like, but it's also super the the director left and then the cinematographer from the first film became the director for these last two films. So that's why it looks pretty great, but I think the storytelling kind of falters. 
They also mm-hmm. took a huge part of book two and then just sort of appended it to the end of film one. Mm-hmm. And so that meant film two had less to work with. And so like there's sort of this lack of tension. It was kind of like, hey, there's a love triangle, but not really because the other guy's not Peter. So <laughs> it's like, you know, it, I remember watching it with my friends like on, and then online and then we're just like, wait, it ended like <laughs> that's it. <laughs> like there's nothing. that being said, I knew a bunch of people who were team. Um, who was the other guy? Yeah, Jor- well, he, not Team George. Jordan's the actor. Jordan right? Fisher, yes, but yes, you, if you're a sane adult woman, even though it feels weird talking about characters that are in high school, any sane adult woman's like, oh my god, Jordan Fisher's character. Yes, he is John the Ambrose, one for you. <laughs> yes, yeah. John Ambrose is obviously the better choice, like in every measurable characteristic for you but like the heart's dumb and it wants what it wants and yeah okay and also jordan fisher has a following for obvious reasons and so like that it it was a good thought to make him uh, in the love triangle because maybe it made the tension better for the viewers but clearly not for lrg (laughs) so so yeah anyway uh it was just i think the storytelling lacked and also like they're they're when I talk about storytelling, it's not even just the plot, but like all the little extras. Because like if you watch the first film again, there's so many weird little quirks. Like when Lara Jean parks her bicycle, it falls, she comes back and then kind of just like, eh, never mind. And so it's like the, all those little extra moments that can kind of build the the character and the personality of the film that you don't really get in these last two films yeah the comedy in the rom-com kind of peters off towards Mm -hmm. the end because i remember in the first one she like legitimately rolls off the roof of her house and like lands in the bushes and she's like what and then Um, dust herself off and she's great and that's one also why i was just like oh my god i thought um lana condor was like such a comedic find in that first film where she doesn't really get that opportunity and same even with like Noah Centineo, be- who became a huge deal from the first film. He's just all right in these other two films. So it's kind of like you have this talent and and this great franchise that you built up, but you haven't really done much with it in these other two films. So it's kind of disappointing. But like my fiction is still there. And like the there are moments definitely, I think, in this third film that are great, which I know, well, we can talk about soon. <laughs> so. Yeah, I agree that I enjoyed this one quite a bit more than the second film. In this film, I love that the love triangle basically, um, instead of John Ambrose McLaren um representing like the more, I guess, intellectual side of Lana Condor's um heart, now you have the city of New York representing the more intellectual side of her heart. And man, it's hard to compete against that. <laughs> well, there is no competition. Well, okay, we're not gonna spoil it, I guess. You know, well, people have um, seen it by now. But yeah, um, it makes sense that the director is a cinematographer because, I mean, one thing this film series has is style, right? And, you know, this, the third film, I don't know if you can say beautiful, but it's it's cool to look at, right? There's a lot of really great shots. It's snazzy and, you know, it kind of feels like like tourism ads for Korea <laughs> and New York, which isn't always bad because I think part of the fun of watching these movies is that, like, beauty right it's it's like a very snazzy commercial and like that's why we love you know like the food scenes and crazy rich asians and the shopping scene and like pretty woman but the best ones use it to show character and development and make moments out of them i don't know if we quite get there with the the sequences here but the new york stuff is fun 
you know, yeah. makes you feel young. We all, I think everybody went through, a f- every artsy high school student went through a phase when they thought they were going to move to New York and pursue like this very fabulous, like <laughs> lifestyle. I definitely had that. I was very close to going to NYU. Thank God I did not because loans. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the set design and costume design are still very top notch, but I get the feeling they're still using the same design documents as the first movie. The costumes in this one ain't good. Not as good. The prom dress is atrocious. Let's be real. Yeah. mm, Not a good look. I was so in love with the costumes in the first movie. I actually talked to the costume designer. And so, you know, she was talking about her influences. So there's a little bit of mod, like 60s look in there, all those headbands. But then there was also like the punk. So she had like docks on and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And you do not get any of those iconic looks in the second and third movie. And you can definitely tell because when they do the the flashbacks uh, montage at the very end during the credits, everything from the first film is like, <gasps> and then everything else is like, <laughs> so, just did not they use iconic. the same designer or did they no, no, switch? No, no, no. She, they switch. So that's what I'm saying. It's like the director, the costume designer are different. Um, the, the, uh, the script writer is the same for the first and second film, which uh, I don't know what that means because that makes no sense to me. But uh, that's why also, well, when you think about it, like a director does more than just point the camera. So I, I definitely feel it was the director that made the first film better since the script, you know, the screenwriter was the same for one and two. So, yeah. I mean, um, one and two had issues, right? Like, like Lara Jean Covey's unironic love for 13 Candles and for some reason, even in this third film, given everything that's happened with um, Harry Potter, like having that be a major plot point for a certain character seemed a little out of place. Well, I thought that was good that. OK, so I think the 16 Candles thing was true from the books. And I like how they called it out in the first film, I believe. Um, so they acknowledge that there is a sort of problematic fave going on there. <laughs> However, yes, uh, that didn't age well with the whole Harry Potter comment from this film. So they didn't catch up in time. Who knows, like, when they stopped, you know, production on this. So they couldn't go back and, like, reshoot that scene. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, can you like do voiceover like ADR? I was like, oh my god, he doesn't love Twilight <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. Or doesn't he doesn't love Parable of the Sower or something like that? <laughs> right? You know, but Kitty would be woke. She'd be reading Octavia Butler. Oh, she totally would be. Um, yeah. <laughs> One thing that was weird for me is since the first movie, I've actually met Lana Condor in person, and so seeing her go back and play high school senior, I mean. She pulls it off, but at the same time, it caused some cognitive dissonance for myself, especially when they do that montage of the first three movies. You see how young they look in that first film. Yeah, yeah. I think they tried a little bit in the costuming this season to try to keep her looking young. But I that's why I actually like the whole headbands and like um, uh, bomber jackets and stuff like that, because, you know, I felt like there's structurally something that made her be more like a character in that costuming versus here, I felt like it was just showing Lana Condor as Lana Condor, which made her definitely seem older. (laughs) So, yeah. 
Ross Butler put it off, though. I feel like I can see him as a jock senior. There's also a time honored tradition of people in their mid to late 20s (laughs) playing high school students. It it just makes fine. It also makes me feel better about like not certain feelings necessarily, but like just certain situations that I have to see these kids in. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes. You don't want to like see actual like 17 year old looking people like in romantic situations. Sometimes you're just like, I feel creepy. Yeah. Like, like I, I acknowledge I be watching that, this. I acknowledge no. that teens have sex that like if they're, you know, around the same age, I'm fine with that. You know, just be safe, all that type of stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to actually see it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a P- it's PG-13, right? This yeah, th- this this is very like, you know, also she is definitely um, in the plot. Uh, there's definitely not sex going on. So <laughs> um, which is good. OK, so I have a question for you guys. Legit. How long do you think they end up together before breaking up? Or do you think they make it to the end? <laughs> I think they break up somewhere between the first and second year of college. I think after the summer, like, Laura Jean decides to not come back because she's found her, like, New York crew. They're all, like, super literary nerd weirdos. And she's, like, getting deeper and more esoteric. And she's, like, not coming back to Oregon. Like, gotta work in New York for the summer. And then it's just never the same after that. And they end up breaking up sometime in year two. I think there's definitely going to be so many tensions that actually Peter Kavinsky will cave and then transfer to NYU. Yeah, he'd be the simp, right? He'd be the one oh, going yeah. to NYU for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, that's the central core of the tensions of the second and third movie is like, can Peter keep up with his like effervescent, um, charming and super smart girlfriend? Because all he really offers is like being totally sweet. Um, being attentive and you know having a hot bod right he i will give them credit he is a good boyfriend and i think he responds to the majority of the things she's the majority of the problems in a very healthy way which is nice to see in a team rom-com property right like there's a lot of problematic shit in the teen rom-coms like we grew up with where you're like, hell no, that's not healthy. Don't emulate that. But like, I think if someone was in like a Peter, Jean, Laura relationship, I'd be like, that's very sweet. You guys are you guys are good for each other. But it's also like, yeah, if he doesn't. OK, number one, he would not have gotten into Stanford. Let's just be real. Even with his lacrosse scholarship. No fucking way. OK, two notes on that. Uh, having watched Try Harder, we have Right. (laughs) If we didn't already know it, it is now confirmed that how hard it's like what four percent acceptance rate. Yeah. And and then uh they also don't like Asians. So I was like, Yeah, good luck, um, Largine. But I think the other thing to note is in the books it's not Stanford. I think it's a University of Virginia. But since that's not a known name, (laughs) like (laughs) I think they changed it, which of course made it more of a fantasy than ever. So. Are, is the book set because i think the movie set in portland is the book set in virginia because that would that would actually make sense because there's yes. a large korean population there so like she, they'd have to go to like uda you like university of oregon or something like yeah that yeah. would make more sense there it's definitely set in um new england so a lot of that made more sense than um oregon california <laughs> 
Yeah, it was interesting that um, Lara Jean Covey was applying to UCs as safety schools, much to Jess's chagrin. I'm very offended as a Cal Bear <laughs> alum. Like, how dare you? You would be lucky to get into UC Berkeley, okay? Especially okay? as an out-of-state student, because you're paying premiums to go well, to those schools. It's probably easier to get in from out-of-state because they'll take it. They want to take your money. <laughs> but I think like the requirements are lower if you're from Alistair, just saying. Um, but yeah, like how dare you consider Berkeley your safety school? Offended. <laughs> huh. But I feel like, yeah, going back to the relationship between Lara Jean and Peter, which is the core of this series, right? It's like from their initial fake relationship to their real relationship and the future. The theme has been that Peter has always been willing to fight for that relationship, which I think overall increases their chances of like staying together right because he's willing to sacrifice to be there for her even when she's like kind of waffling all over the place okay i do have another question as someone who like was not romantically <laughs> what's the term romantically viable in high school <laughs> who's just not was not getting any in high school you know was like pre-old when she got some did not have a boyfriend did not even date oh yeah same. like is there maybe so maybe i'm asking the wrong crowd maybe marvin has to single-handedly hold this answer down like is oh no you're talking to another late bloomer right normal? here normal so. are they like codependent i feel like parts of, i feel like they're a little oh. codependent but also, is that normal yes. for high school? So, I mean, as a late bloomer as well, I don't have firsthand experience. But I did have friends who were in relationships. Mm -hmm. And I feel like high school relationships are just that way. Oh, totally. Like, th theirs is actually healthy compared to <laughs> most of the people's high school relationships that I knew. Like, my, my twin brother um, dated a few people. And um, I felt so bad for his high school girlfriend <laughs> i was just no. like there are times when i was just like look at her and i'm like sorry because <laughs> <laughs> like she was also kind of a friend of mine like not my friend first but like since it's my twin brother i we're the same age so we have all the same people that we know and um yeah it was a little weird um but yeah most of my friends who dated they're like the ones who were actually boyfriend and girlfriend i i just remember always thinking that like, yeah, you're not going to last. <laughs> you know, that was just in my head. I mean, yeah, I feel like the people who did date during high school have all turned out to be people who can't be single. Kind of. I mean, um, that's not to that's not to poo poo the fact that like a lot of them are actually in good relationships now. But it's just more of the like they they definitely needed to date despite not having people good people to date, you know, like but that, they also got their experience earlier, let's just say. So um, when I finally started dating, um, because I, you know, I also count it like if you had a long term relationship when you were younger, it's kind of like going into the army early. Like you didn't get that like good experience <laughs> of like dating around. And I think that's important because then you learn what works and what doesn't. So like I also count myself as a late bloomer in that regard, because like in college, I had a boyfriend, but that was like for five years. So when I finally started dating after that, that's when I think I started learning how to date and learning what like. Oh, my me too. Yeah. I had a long term <laughs> boyfriend in college, too. And that he was my first boyfriend. So but when we broke up, like it went it went like it went hoey. Yep. Han, it went very hoey uh, and I was just which is like I was grateful for because I was at a place where I could 
handle myself mm-hmm. better and I had like my you know I had my own money and like my own yep place and it was so much better I was like how do kids do this when you're like 16 like do you like just sneak around and like fuck in a bush I don't know <laughs> yeah I, I feel like maybe that might be the reason why you know like you and I we were in these long-term relationships because like in, in college just because you didn't have that autonomy <laughs> So it was kind of just easier to just like stick with one person. Um, but yeah, so I the starter boyfriend, the yeah, starter boyfriend, like I w- everyone's got one. If I were in high school, I wouldn't want to get a ride from someone to be dropped off for a date or any of that type of stuff or have a curfew with a date. No, I'm glad I didn't date in high school, honestly. <laughs> Oh, me too. Like knowing like hindsight 50-50, right? It's like, oh, the the quality of partner selection was not good. Oh, I was not good. I was not into anyone in high school. So like and I had a huge high school population. So that just Marvin, high school boys are trash. Did you know you were trash in high school? (laughs) Oh, I was trash for sure. Yeah. Okay. Did girls bite (laughs) at that? No, though. You're tall, though. So I feel like that's half the battle. (laughs) Uh, There are some things I'm not proud of, but. Anyways, I feel like. Anyways, changing the subject real quick. Wow, wow, well, look at that like, segue. Look at him trying to skirt I the question. Like, I mean, if we're predicting what will happen, I think I'm not confident in Lara Jean's ability to stay true to the path, but I think Peter will for the best to the best of his ability. Um, so who knows? I mean, you want to believe in these kids, but I also want Lara Jean to experience life. Because, like, Peter's already holding around a little bit, right? Like, that was his mm-hmm. character in the first film. I feel like Laura Jean should have that experience, too, in New York. Do yeah. you think Peter Peter could, like, hang with her English-lit NYU friends, though? Like, that's oh. going to create some tension, right? Like, she's going to meet, like, Timothy Chalamet Part 2. <laughs> They're going to start getting close, going to, like, poetry readings and stuff. And then Peter's going to get jealous. And then somehow, like, they need to split up during this time when they're each finding themselves or whatever. And then somehow, because of the where they end up, they will eventually come back together. Yeah, I totally could see that happening because I I think that they have the makings of a good love story, but they definitely both need to grow up and do something else. Like, first. Yes. I mean, as a third film of this trilogy, and by all accounts, probably the last film I don't know if Netflix wants to keep milking this cow. I mean, there's, st- there's still some legs. And if we do get a fast forward, Lana and Noah can probably play closer to their real ages. Um, <laughs> That's true. They can make it now. But as a conclusion to this trilogy, do you think it, it works? Um, To a certain extent, like them wrapping things up, dad got to marry another Asian woman. So, you know, his fetish is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Oh, does, does Dr. Cuff... Does Dr. Cuffy have the yellow fever? <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, I think the sisters are fine. I I liked that this film ended up being contingent on her choosing herself, you know? And um, so that made me feel better about her dependence on him. Um, no, I don't know. I do. F- that's why I keep, though, thinking that he's going to cave and <laughs> i mean obviously she holds all the power in this relationship yeah so at this point you know like they got their contract and whatever but i i'm fine with it ending where it is yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was ever a question that they weren't going to end up together in any of these films. So it seems ridiculous for me to say, like, the stakes don't seem there. Like, it's it's a rom-com. They're going to end up together. That's the whole point of a good rom-com. But a part of me was, like, maybe maybe it's because there was no, like, distinct bad guy or, like, it's 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 like a lot of the drama's internal, right? And and I mean, the bad guy was New York City. Right? The bad guy's New York City or Stanford, I guess. Oh it's yeah, a tree. This is my Berkeley coming out it's like fucking trees, <laughs> but uh, it's fine. I have a lot of friends from Stanford. They're great. I love them. Um, but it it feels it's very internal. It's which is which is a deliberate choice, right? It's about the relationship, which is interesting but like the trashy part of me is just kind of missing that external like drama force like a jen you know jen was like the bad guy in the first one causing drama to an extent jordan fisher's character at john ambrose even though he i i would have picked john ambrose like there <laughs> was it missing some kind of like external like like trashier <laughs> Her villainous force. Maybe I missed that a little bit. Yeah, I remember when I first read the first book, I was just like, oh, I thought she was going to get to date five guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, all of a sudden, like, she just settled for this one guy. I mean, Han, like, yeah. Han, yeah, I mean, Han wants like the Korean drama model <laughs> of like drawn out more dudes, like throw throw in the kitchen pot, uh, which I think it yeah. could have used a little more of that because I mean, in the, I think the first one movie was so successful because Peter was the other guy. Peter's the guy she's not supposed to like, right? And that's one of the best tropes in rom-com, <laughs> enemies to lovers. And like, fake relationship, my other fake favorite. relationships, like two solid, solid tropes that people love. And then to go from there to like, you know, th- there's just never any question that they're going to end up together. Yeah, it, it was it was too much made for each other from the start, and that's probably why the other two films also didn't have this same sort of tension. <laughs> yeah, and then if they're they're internally they're so perfect for each other, and then there's no additional external force, even if it's New York, like New York is not really the yeah. villain. Yeah. Then it's just you know, was there another girl on his end? Was there another? But they did that kind of in yeah. the first two movies. <laughs> She got another guy in the second movie. So it's just like, what now? I mean, that being said, I did appreciate this movie just being full of like more fluff and less drama as just someone who just needed something light to watch. Mm -hmm. And I think the drama, like the drama being more internal did make sense because that's what senior year is, right? Worrying about the future, worrying if you're making the right choices. We saw this explored in Try Harder, which is all these kids worrying so much about their future making the right choice when you know us on the other side it's like oh kiddos like (laughs) it'll be okay life will move on i don't know i I did enjoy it and i did feel like the emotional parts of it right like the climax um while not steeped in drama still hit as someone who can look back fondly on like those memories and the feelings of something like a chapter coming to an end i think this film did capture those pretty well Oh, Marvin's a softy on the inside. <laughs> Han and I are like, what the hell, Lord Jean? You're being dumb. Don't give it all up for a dude. Yeah, I mean, like, New York is it's gonna, you know how they were talking about everyone's so good looking in New York? I'm like, ooh, Laura Jean, you totally could, like, uh, <laughs> meet a nice older guy. I mean, yeah. to all the boys I love it for, for definitely writes itself at this point, right? Because there is definitely 
room for like this relationship still has tests in front of it right obvious tests that they'll have to overcome if they are to be like the one true pairing of this series my question for you two as like rom-com aficionados is you know to all the boys i love before is i guess the vanguard right of like asian american rom-coms when the first movie came out everyone's talking about man these are the movies we wanted to see when we were younger um, we're so glad Asian Americans can have this film and see Lana Condor as like a romantic lead in her own rom-com. As like one of the side effects of the rom-com is creating this like expectation of what relationships are. Where does Peter Kaminsky fall on this? Like if you saw this as a teenager, would Peter Kaminsky be like your relationship goals? Mm, I don't know about goals. Like I do have to say, in the first film, Noah Centineo does an amazing job of being super charming. So in that way, yes. Also, he is a good boyfriend. So yes. Now, would this have been the guy that I would have like swooned over as a kid? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say because if he didn't have if the actor and and the movie itself didn't give him that sort of charming personality, like I think on the page, I wasn't really into him. So yeah, the movie did a lot, but I think a lot of it has to do with the actor. I'm trying to think of, I don't think he's a, a type though. Like he's, yeah, I think it's a lot of just chemistry. Like Lana and Noah have very good chemistry. It's, Noah Centineo is a charming person. I have, I've like seen him in real life and he is very charming. And, you know, of course, traditionally very handsome. Um, but there's not too distinct a character or even like a trope that Noah is. It's just really the foil of charisma to bounce off Lana because Lana is really the center of the story and it, she just needs to have like a connection with whoever she's playing opposite against. I will say there were parts in number two that were like getting a little icky. And then I think you can kind of, I, I honestly chalk it up to maybe like having, a, not having a woman at the helm. Like mm-hmm. when he gets all butt hurt cause she won't like dress up for his lacrosse games. I'm like, sir, get over yourself. <laughs> like, please, Lana Jean, you're better than this. Like, do it if you want, but, like, don't do it because he's guilt-tripping you. So, But that's when he's kind of, like, the asshole so she can be pushed to John Ambrose and all that. Yeah, I, I, I do have to say, in general, bec- the way a lot of rom-coms poorly create tension to keep people apart is to make one person, like, not tell the other person the truth or be an asshole and because they're, like, angry about something. Um, so at least they kept that to a minimum. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, movie two had a little bit of that in there, and which was totally baffling to have this guy who was so charming to be a jerk all of a sudden. Yeah. So that didn't, that kind of doesn't play for me. Yeah. Also, why I didn't like film number two. But um, yeah, rom coms are just built on the charm of their two leads. They, they, mm-hmm. the characters themselves <laughs> usually are pretty flat unless you have a very strong concept like a legally blonde or something like that. But, like you're kind of hiring them to be them in a fake setting and hiring them to be charming with this other hot, charming person that everyone thinks the two of them want to fuck, you know, like that, that's kind of the perfect rom-com melting pot. You don't need, you don't need to get deeper than that. But that's also why 
the pinnacle, I think, when it comes to the Asian rom-coms is always be my maybe because they each have really great characters. And even when they're being assholes, you still really are rooting for them and like them. Um, but then also it was, you know, they contributed to, you know, writing. And so that wa- that was why there's such a strong voice and characterizations throughout. Um, whereas most of the time, yeah, it's written in sort of a vacuum and then you cast and then you're trying to look for that chemistry. So, you know, like all the little other quirks and things like that are added in later sometimes or not even at all. That's when you get Hallmark. So <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like who are my like top tier rom-com studs. And they're all pretty on paper bland. It's the it's the actor. It's the actor. Like I love Mark Ruffalo in 13 going on 30. Like that is my yeah. number one Mark Ruffalo role. And Mark Ruffalo is I mean, he's like the sweet it's the story that helps, you know, like the the childhood friend. He's very nice and He's a, you know, he helps her out and like very loyal. But it's Mark Ruffalo. Like we love, we fall in love with Mark Ruffalo. (laughs) I mean, it's Hugh Grant in like the early, you know, those four weddings and the funeral. Same thing. It his stuttering British boyish floppy haired charm um, that makes it. So, yeah, I mean, that's why it's like rom-coms. I I love them but they are also hard to do very well um a lot of them kind of fall into that like ah, it's goofy but i enjoyed it sort of situation <laughs> so um yeah that's why i really like the first film it i think it really showed showcased their awesome like quirky abilities and personalities um and disappointed with two and three <laughs> well it's also as we know from TV shows and like long running TV shows or like even like K dramas and stuff. Like once you get the two characters together, the central like OTP characters, like the tension kind of just dissipates a little bit. You just have it's very hard to recreate the will they won't they see that same energy. Yeah, or or creating a new energy because I think about um I always think about that, like which are the married or together characters that still have that really fun chemistry and i go back all the way to like the 30s where um uh nick and nora charles you know (laughs) were like he's a detective and she's like his like wife and they have such a great chemistry but it's so rare that you see anything like that though um in fiction and on the screen where they're married and are just amazing um together and i still love watching them and falling in love with them you know yeah so yeah so it's like it's like kind of a double-edged sword like the reason why there's no there we're we're talking about this like missing something is because they actually have a healthy relationship like Mm -hmm. you know um laura jean and peter are all intents and purposes like very good for each other but then it's just like from a viewer standpoint you're like someone throw something like someone accuse (laughs) someone like someone i mean don't because you know ya media i think it's better off to have good portrayals of romantic relationships i still think that's a net positive but like again my trashy adult woman self is like be done like but make it one tree hill someone sleep with someone's sister (laughs) well that's also why i was like if it's so central on them they could have really built up any of these other characters to have tension for that you know like one of the sisters uh one of the friends the like the best friend who is um 
they kind of tried to do a little bit something, but it was really like, yeah, no tension whatsoever. They they could have done something else there. So I didn't miss the drama as much as Chess does, <laughs> but I guess no, we were looking probably looking for different things from this film, anyways. Um, last question for you all: the question we will ask for everything we talk about is overall, and in the end, is always and forever good pop. I think so, yes. It wraps up a very, I mean, it's kind of crazy how productive it was. I think we got one a year, right? It was like, bam, bam, bam. It's wrapped up. It's, at the end of the day, very, you know, I approve this message. Laura Jean choosing herself, choosing her dreams and not giving it up for a man. Oh my God, could you imagine how terrible it would have been if she's like, I'm, like the message was sent. She's like, I'm either going to Berkeley because Peter or... I chose my dreams and Peter dumped me. Like, God, that would have been terrible, right? Well, that's Felicity right there. Mm. Um, but that's also showed how dumb she was for having done that. So that was good. But yeah, I I, I, I like the message. This, this is also when it's like, I would recommend this for my mom to watch. Um, not only just because she doesn't like a lot of sex and things, but, you know, I think the whole Korea sequence um, is totally amazing. They and definitely sh- know their yeah. audience. Opening the film with like a mm-hmm. Korea food porn travel montage for all of us who can't eat out or go travel anymore. Oh my god! The it mo- was so yes. well done. Yes, and the most and ridiculous the thing of this. Okay, the song is not a good pick. It's way too old. It's like ten <laughs> years old at this point. That was I was listening to when I was in high school. But also. The most ridiculous part of this entire trilogy is that you would be able to find the damn walk that their mom put on the bridge like 20 something years ago. Because Margo, this is before Margo was born, before they got married. So it's been like 20, like 20 years. It's like, you know, they cut that shit off like once every two weeks or else <laughs> it will collapse from the weight of all the metal. It's always and forever, Jess. <laughs> Um, you tell that to the civil engineers who have know the structural load maximum for the Soul Tower or whatever. But yeah, I really, yeah, I, I think this this film, while it didn't have quite the tensions, I still think it's overall a good film. Um, versus, let's say, the Kissing Booth series that's also <laughs> popular on Netflix. Oh, those are so bad! I can't finish I, it. <laughs> Oh, I finished it. And the second movie had a really good like DDR, like fake dance sequence, which was great. But the rest of the film was horrible. Um, But yeah, like that is not good pop, although it's very popular. Um, Is it the Kissing Booth 2 similar storyline about like them going to college or her trying to choose which college to go to? He goes to college. uh, She's still in town because I think she's a year younger or or two. And um, but. And then she starts a DDR like contest with the guy who's now the new love interest, and um, and he's hot, of course, and the better choice. You know, Jess and I, I think we have the same. You guys, I am you're always, both secondly syndrome. I am right? always a fan of that other guy who is like yes. perfect for like, but that the the other guy kind of has to be perfect, right? Or else there's no tension, and you have to you end up like. Like the whole point is like love is what matters and you have to follow your heart. But like if I were Allie from the notebook, I would have fucking married James Marsden. He's perfect. <laughs> he's handsome. He like treats you well. He supports you. Your parents love him. That's a good life. Sorry, end of rant. I'm just <laughs> I haven't seen the notebook. Um that is Always one the of second my pop one. culture gaps. 
Yeah. So, but yes, I agree. Oh it's, my it's, God, it's, we should do it's, a notebook one. So yeah, yeah. Please, let's do a cup, pop culture gap. But yeah, I I do feel oh like uh, kissing booth. I I am, can't stop watching it though because it's just utter trash. And I do want to see the third one because that guy will come back. So um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, I also think that this is good pop. I think overall, the to all the boys I love before series ha- has been a net positive for the culture. Um, definitely put Lana Condor on the map. She was already a rising star, but now people have something like she has something to hang her hat on which is great i want to see her more things because let's be fair she kind of carried the series right oh yeah totally yeah yeah (laughs) i'm not a seeker of drama so the lack of said drama wasn't a big (laughs) deal for me but i did you know um both my girlfriend and i really enjoyed um this film definitely better than the second film um but i agree the first film is the superior one of the series um, which is usually how these trilogies work right well rom-coms rarely get like a trilogy. <laughs> like, I think the only other one is like Legally Blonde, which number three is coming out like 20 years later. You don't get rom com trilogies. It's not a thing. I, yeah. I do have to say, though, that I'm hopeful that um, because of Bridgerton, people will understand that there's still this very rich genre of uh, literature that they can go to for storylines and a lot of them have sequels so I'm hoping that we'll get more of these things um, where you you have characters that you care about in the next film or the next series or whatever season um, because I really do like that bigger universe Lisa Klupas make it happen it's <laughs> basically sex in the city but in Regency era like just do that with the <laughs> success of Bridgerton. Studio execs are definitely scrambling to find the next uh, Bridgerton. I think it'll be hard to do without seeing reductive because re- there's just such a vernacular visual language of like Regency era like stuff, but I'm hoping we get more different eras, different uh, <laughs> keep it color color conscious casting though. Better sex scenes, please. Mhm. Yeah. Well, to all the boys I loved before, Cohen Always and Forever is streaming now on Netflix. Um, if you haven't watched it yet, watch it now um, because it's a good conclusion. If you like the past two films, you'll love this one as well. Um, Jess Han, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Always and Forever. If people want to find out more of your thoughts um, on social media, where can they go? I'm on Twitter at JessJudeTweets. And I am at Hanonymous. You can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yuet. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and find past episodes of the show by going to the website goodpop.club. Good Pop is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a network of Asian-hosted podcasts. Um, Check out our fellow Potluck members by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, that'll do it for this episode of Good Pop. We'll be back next week for our monthly news roundup. Um, But until then, um, we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada's a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 